0: I think a big time for me was, I think it was my 12th birthday that my uncle gave me an insect collection kit. And so for a lot of my teenage years, I was running around with a net, catching and collecting butterflies and moths. I think this started off an interest in small, tiny, fascinating things. Insects are really small and often overlooked, but they can be really beautiful. And now in my research where I use really high powered microscopes, I see even smaller things. And this is like looking into a a completely different world, which is often really stunning.
1: Hello, my name is Ben McCarthy and welcome to this week's episode of Anything But Square. On Thursday, the 28th of April, 2020, the Walter Analyzer Hall Institute of Medical Research team led by Dr. Caleb Dawson, Professor Jeff Linderman, Professor James Visvader, and Dr. Anne Rios discovered a new type of immune cell that helps to keep the breast tissue healthy. Today, we are joined by Dr. Caleb Dawson Walter and Eliza Hall Institute Medical Researcher to discuss this new immune cell and how it can help in the aid against, in the battle against breast cancer. Settle in, grab a cuppa and enjoy. So yeah,
0: my name's Caleb and I'm from Melbourne. I just finished my PhD where I was working on breast cancer and breast development. Uh, outside of science, I'm interested in nature, so I like camping, things like this, and music also, I play guitar. And coming from Melbourne, growing up in a big family, we did lots of camping, so out in nature all the time. And I would draw and photograph animals and plants and these sorts of things. And so I think that's what led me to do science because it really is just an interest in nature and how things work.
1: So was there actually a specific moment that actually made you want to say, go from obviously observing insects, you know, nature, to, um, to more um, human-like biology, research, um, and uh, as well as uh, d- discovery.
0: I don't think there was a moment in time where I realized that I wanted to do this sort of research. And even when I started undergrad doing science, I was also studying music at the same time, doing a double degree. I was doing a diploma of music when I started studying science. And after a few semesters, I thought this wasn't working. I need to focus on one so I can do it really well. And so I started to work on science. And even during my science undergrad, I started with subjects on zoology. And then when I started learning more about jellyfish and jellyfish life cycles and things, I started thinking that maybe this isn't quite what I want to do. It didn't didn't feel very useful even as fascinating as it is and so I started to go down the route of more biochemistry and cell biology and so that led me to the sort of research that I'm doing now and doing a PhD when you work on something so closely and you make it your own project you just become completely immersed in this and really passionate about it so I think it grows over time as I've worked in it.
1: Because you were doing a music and science degree at the, um, at the same time, was there anything that you learned from when you were learning music, um, any actual kind of methodology or any kind of practice that you, they actually brought over to use in your career in science?
0: Yeah, I think so. They're not exactly overlapping the, the types of techniques that you use, but I think music is really important, especially learning an instrument because It teaches you to really commit to something because an instrument you have to practice every day and i was playing trombone at the time i haven't played for a little while but when you stop playing for a few days you start to lose your stamina and your tone and i think that has taught me really good lessons for life and for doing science that if you do something consistently you can build up skill and expertise over time
1: yeah yeah. Um firstly uh con congratulations on your uh, discovery, which is a new which is a new type of immune sound in the breast in the breast duct. At a glance, can you actually, can can you actually describe what the discovery is?
0: First, thank you. It is really exciting to finally have it published and out so that everyone can see it. So yeah, we found a new immune cell inside the breast ducts. And these were previously hidden, people hadn't seen them before. But with new microscope technology, we do these 3D reconstructions of the breast tissue and this revealed these cells. And they're really important for keeping the breast tissue healthy because they monitor for and remove dying cells. So the breast contains mammary ducts and these are like a tree that branches through the breast. And the immune cells that we found are embedded in the walls of the ducts and they have these tiny arms that they move back and forth, checking for dying cells. And this is really crucial because the breast tree is like a deciduous tree. It blooms in lactation to form these spherical milk factories. And after lactation, when the milk is no longer needed, these are shed. And so the immune cells that we found sit next to these cells. And when they're shed, they remove them to keep the breast healthy. And these sorts of things are really critical for preventing inflammation and reducing cancer risk.
1: Can you actually describe even uh, even more about the benefits of this discovery as as well as also the future uses of this discovery, how it can be used, you know, um to, to obviously fight against breast cancer or any other as said, um inflammation, any any obviously potential medical complications? So what we
2: found was that these immune cells are a type of cell called a macrophage. And this name comes from the Greek words for big, macro and eater phage. And And macrophages are really bad in cancer because they dampen the body's normal immune response against cancer. And because their normal function is to keep tissue healthy, this function continues into cancer where they're trying to keep the cancer healthy. And this affects treatment because they're trying to kill the cancer but the macrophages are often there trying to protect that tissue. And so people are trying to get rid of macrophages to see if this helps treatment. Interestingly, Breast cancer macrophages are really different from normal breast macrophages. And until now, this has been a bit of a mystery as to why there's this difference. And people thought that maybe a new type of macrophages being created in the breast cancer. But we found that the macrophages in the breast ducts, which we call ductal macrophages, are actually the same as these breast cancer macrophages. And so this solves the problem of why the breast cancer macrophages are different. And so because these ductal macrophages, are important for keeping the normal breast healthy. They're bad in cancer because they continue to do the same thing and help the cancer survive. Now that we know more about the breast cancer immune cells and where they come from, it'll help us to improve cancer treatments and prevention in the future. Hopefully our discovery in normal tissue will increase our understanding of the breast disease. And it shows how important it is to make discoveries in normal tissue because then you can compare the disease to the normal and see what changes and then learn more about how we can treat it.
1: How does one actually start a discovery? Is this like, do you actually plan on finding something? Is it, is, is, um, could, could it just be potentially sheer luck or happenstance? Like, how does it start? It
2: actually was a really surprising discovery. Before we saw these cells, we had no idea what they were or that they were even there. So at the start of my PhD, I was learning how to do this 3D imaging and reconstructing the mammary duct. At the Walter and Liza Hall Institute, where I'm working, we're really lucky to have many high-powered microscopes that help us to reveal these new things inside tissues. And so I was looking for different types of cells that interact with the mammary duct. And one of the things that I was doing was using two different things, one for the duct cells and one for the immune cells, and then the microscope is able to see these two different stains and then see how they interact. And so I still remember sitting in the dark microscope room. It was probably sunny outside, and I was stuck in this little dingy room, seeing these images come up on the screen and seeing the immune cell stain inside the memory duct and thinking, what the hell is going on here? It was really surprising, and I, I think I knew at that moment that I'd seen something really cool and new. And so we were curious to know what was happening and to find out more. And thankfully, it did turn out to be really exciting. This was a new cell that has a really important role in in breast function. Yeah, when we first started looking at these cells, it was a struggle because we knew nothing about them. But eventually, yeah, we found out that there were these macrophage cells. And macrophages are really fascinating because there's different types in each organ. And so it's really exciting to find a macrophage that's specific to the breast tissue. And this is the first cell that's been found that is specific to the breast tissue. Eventually, we figured out how to film them, and that's when we saw their arms moving back and forth over the ducts and then we were able to image them eating the dying cells. And then we imaged them in lactation, and that's when we saw that they were sitting right next to the milk-producing cells. And so we filmed them during weaning after lactation when these milk-producing cells are shed, and we could see the ductal macrophages eating them up. And so we're really proud that we could take the story right from that simple observation right at the start and knowing absolutely nothing to this complete picture of this new cell and why it's really important. And it's also really exciting just to be the first person to see these things and then to identify and describe a new cell that other people can then study and, and build on that knowledge and i'm really happy now that it's published and other people can share in that and be excited by it too
1: when you actually discovered the cell were you ever tempted to scream eureka in the lab
2: I never screamed, but I may have done a little like discovery dance in the
1: microscope room. As mentioned earlier, you led the research team with Professor Jeff Linderman, Professor Jane Visvader, and Dr. Am Rios. Can you talk about how they each informed the research and and the subsequent discovery?
2: Sure. Well, it was during my um, undergrad, just at science at Melbourne Uni, when I was doing this program called the Europe program, which stands for Undergraduate Research Opportunity Project, And I was doing it at the walton Hall Institute. And this work at the time was on platelets, which are important for clotting blood. And this involved being in the lab one day a week to work on my own project, which is a really great taste of research. And during this, I learned how to do the 3D imaging. And this connected me to Anne Rios, who was working in the breast cancer lab using this imaging. And she was really inspiring and had a really infectious passion for science and life. And the lab that she was working in, this breast cancer lab, was run by Jane Visada and Jeff Lindeman, who are world leaders in breast cancer research. And so I was really keen to work with them. And thankfully, they took me on for a PhD, which was a very daunting time, but also really exciting. And I was so happy to be able to work with really brilliant people leaders in their field. So I started a PhD in 2015, which I just finished, and now I'm continuing to work in their lab.
1: What is 3D fluorescence microscopy?
2: This is where we use really fancy microscopes to make 3D reconstructions of tissue. And the fluorescence is where we use different colored dyes to stain different cells different colors. And that allows us to see the interactions between different parts of the tissue. And this is quite ironic because actually I'm colorblind, And so many of the colours that people usually use to see these different cells, I can't see very well. And so thankfully this is all digital, so I can choose my own colours so that I can see them fine. But often when I see other people's work, I actually struggle to understand it. Modern microscopes are really incredible. They're huge and really expensive. But they give us so much detail down to the smallest parts of individual cells but this is within the context of a whole intact tissue, so we can see all of the cells and how they interact in three dimensions. And what this technique involves is staining tissue, intact tissue, and then making it transparent so the microscope can see through it. And then we image thousands of slices through the tissue, which we can then reconstruct into 3D. And at the Institute, we have many of these instruments in the Center for Dynamic Imaging, and so researchers can come in and with their samples and put them on these microscopes and see new things, which is really amazing. And the technique of 3D imaging was critical to our discovery because with the older technology, people hadn't been able to see these cells before. But with 3D reconstructions, we are able to see these tiny cells embedded within the walls of the duct. And it's quite fun too because these 3D reconstructions, we put them into graphic software and we can fly through the memory duct rotate around, wear 3D glasses, and go inside the breast tissue. And that really helps to be inside the tissue and to to see new things. So it's a really amazing time to do science with this incredible technology. You can see new things for the first time.
1: It actually very much reminds me about the making of the movie Christopher Nolan's Interstellar. I think Kip Thorne gave the visual effects team his his um his basically stack of pages of calculations around uh around a black hole and so the visual effects team they took his research and um and ingested it into um into a special effects software where they properly visualized a black hole for the first time and from that Kip Thorne then uh Kip Thorne and the visual effects crew um they then actually created a brand new paper around black holes off the idea of actually seeing it for the very first time that you see things that you didn't that you may not have seen um anywhere else we can actually like visualize all of this um using 3d you know very kind of interactive what would actually be the next step in the use of this technology i know like would it even go as far as say virtual reality or augmented reality and even and, and even putting it in that in that sphere would that actually open itself up to even more to even more scientific discoveries yeah
2: that's a really interesting story about interstellar and i think it shows the importance also of the computational work here because it doesn't matter how fancy your microscope is you need really high-powered computers and very good software to actually be able to see these things and they're they're almost useless without the visualization i think the next step is virtual reality and augmented reality. And there are actually people at the Institute who are working on these sorts of visualisation. But the cool thing about the 3D glasses is that I've given presentations to up to 300 people and given them all cyan red 3D glasses. So the whole audience looks completely ridiculous. But something like virtual reality, you only can have a couple of people at a time and you're kind of locked into this own little world yourself. And so you can't really experience it with, other people so I think that's something really cool about 3D is that you can sit in an audience like at a 3D movie and all see this at the same time and everyone can chat about it and have it as a collective experience but definitely virtual reality gives you a really deep view of something and you can you can be inside the microscopy images and feel and touch things and poke things around these sorts of things that really haven't been possible before.
1: What is also interesting, I think, in in the background of this, and, the, and um, this is actually something that you mentioned at the beginning, is obviously, I think, the role in which science and religion kind of play together. How do they kind of work for you, like religion and science um plays, I think, for you, and very much using this discovery as an example? So
2: I've always believed in God. And I think there's really good evidence for this, in my opinion, in things like, fine-tuning of the universe and the beginning of the universe. And as a Christian, I think that there's quite good evidence for the death and resurrection of Jesus. I think it's quite compelling. But I also have faith in scientific knowledge, including evolution. And so there is a tension between these two because a lot of people say that they're incompatible. So for many years, I did struggle to reconcile them. But now I'm quite confident that they're completely compatible and actually complementary. So in God, I find the reason for things, like why the universe is the way it is, and about human nature and why they're suffering, these sorts of things. And in science, I find out about how things work, the really specific details, the beauty of nature, and it's like a big puzzle that fits together perfectly. But I don't think this paints a complete picture. I think it points to more than just nature. So the more I learn and the more I see in science, the more I'm amazed by God. And if God is behind it all, the more we discover about the world it's like getting insight into the mind that's behind it all and that really plays into my research where i'm really fascinated by nature and i see god as being behind nature and so as i'm looking at nature it's like learning more about god as well which i find really fascinating and really inspiring
1: have there ever been moments where you have where you have ever come across something that you've actually found hard to describe or find any or, or 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 even find any logical explanation for whether or not if it's from a scientific perspective as well as also from a religious perspective as well
2: yeah all the time i think because science obviously doesn't know everything about the world so there are many things that we don't know how to explain and some people use this as a way to say that there is a God. Things that we don't know, they use God to fill the gaps. But it's a really, it's a bit of a flawed argument because inevitably scientists find out how it works naturally. And so then these people are in a bit of a tough spot because then their reason for God has been disproved. So I like to see it that what we don't know about science is just things that we haven't discovered. But the natural world is consistent and there are not gaps in it. It is perfectly consistent and everything obeys these laws. But there are also things about God and um, Christianity that I don't understand. But in the same way, I don't see that as a reason for me to disregard things. I think that it's just that I don't understand it or people don't understand it. And if God does exist, then He's definitely far beyond our understanding, kind of like the universe. It's so big that we as people have a really hard time of comprehending just how big it is. And I think if God is behind the universe, then he is even bigger and greater. So of course I have very little hope of understanding everything about it. And I quite like that. I think it's very humbling to think in that way because we are quite small. But we can trust in things. We trust in science. I trust in God, and I think we have to do that because you can never know everything.
1: Also, as well, like High is actually very, very well known for its um, for its uh, art and science events, and also as well, High TV in in generating um, artwork using 3D fluorescent microscopy, and also as well, visual effects. Um, can you actually like talk about the first time you actually like created art yourself?
2: I think I've been creating art from for a long time, like since I was a kid drawing animals and things like this, I never really had a huge amount of creativity, like I wasn't able to paint big abstract paintings or anything, but I really love to copy pictures of animals and things. So I think that it is a very scientific way of doing art. And so as soon as I started doing microscopy, I think I was already thinking like, that. I think the the institute's art and science exhibition really encouraged me to actually do this because I could see other people's microscopy art and how beautiful it is and how and how useful it is for teaching people about the science and showing the science to people who normally wouldn't see it. And so I started to join in with that. And over the period. Learn how to do better microscopy and to make images that better reflect the science of people but also have aesthetic appeal as well. And so I've been entering into that competition for a few years now, been lucky enough to win a couple of times. But the best thing about it is that everyone comes together and celebrates how beautiful science can be. And we can also open that up to other people to see. Like when we do the exhibition at Fed Square, which is a public place where, in the atrium, where people can come through when they're on their way to somewhere else and see these things that see these things that are really strange that have been revealed by microscopes that they wouldn't have seen otherwise.
1: Where can they find you, and where can they find uh, the the information?
2: Yeah, a lot of people do go and check out the science art and the publication. So I'm on Twitter at Caleb A Dawson, and I tweet of the science art and the research news as well. Also on Instagram as sci.cad they're trying to pair up the beautiful images of the science with some education to explain the sort of research that we do and try to provide people with new interesting facts that they might not have known before. And then I also have a blog which is calebadawson.com where I have more science side again. And I've done a blog about the research paper that we have that's a bit more easy to understand, doesn't have so much science jargon, but just has all the nice images and movies distilled into a spot that is a bit more accessible.
1: New episodes of Anything But Square are released every Wednesday, and we encourage you to subscribe to the podcast and sign up to our newsletter at fedsquare.com. Take care, and we'll see you next Wednesday.